Stand up, find somebody, shake a hand. Atoning sacrifice, keeper of this life, hallelujah.
Good morning, people of the air conditioner. <laughs> it's good to see you. Is it hot out there? It's 103 and 900% humidity. You know, I remember as a kid, I have so much respect for your grandparents who have lived here for 3,000 years. I'm telling you, between the mosquitoes, the love bugs, and the, and the heat, how did they do it? I remember as a kid, we, uh, in California, sometimes we would travel through the desert, and it would get up to 110, 115, but it was a dry heat. And we'd be driving backwards. Remember those big old LTD uh, Ford station wagons with the fake wood paneling on the side? Yeah, I remember that. Those were the days. Hey, Larry, it's great to have you back. We have been praying for Larry and his health, and uh, God is answering our prayers, and uh, medicine is working, and so we want to continue praying for Larry. He uh, has cancer, and, and the Lord is, like I said, answering prayers and um, is in a research project, and it's, it's going well. We want to continue praying as he's fatigued, and, and, uh, but thank you for coming and leading us in worship. We have missed you, Larry. We have missed you. We are better when you're here, so it's good to have you here. If you would take your worship guides and open them as you do, there's some things I want to highlight. If you're visiting with us today, welcome to Carpenter's Way. Uh, we have about 25 of our family that are right now on the river, on the Amazon River in Brazil, on their way to start working in uh, unreached people group villages who have never heard the gospel. They're going to go in and they're going to share Christ and do medicine, uh, medical care, uh, dental care, uh, do children's ministry, men and women's ministry for the sole purpose of sharing Christ with people. So we want to be praying for them and we will in a few minutes. We have another group on the uh, going to Guatemala uh, the 29th and there's an insert in here. Um, I need to talk to the Overbees for a second. Are you all filled with what you can take? Okay, still collecting till Wednesday? Okay, so in your insert, so be praying for our Brazil team. We had an insert in there with their names. And uh, on, uh, also we are collecting things that they use on, in Guatemala to express the gospel and to minister to people. And the list is in there. They'll be collecting until Wednesday. Is that what you said, through Wednesday? So if you're able to participate with this, great. Uh, but even if you can't, please be in prayer uh, for them as well. Um, man, that's, it's a, what a wonderful thing to uh, be able to send people global and share Christ with folks and be a part of that. You'll notice in the worship guide a, a lot of events and activities coming up. We start winding up in the next couple of weeks for the school year. And uh, uh, one thing I, I want to remind you, you know, and, and we're not going to get into it this morning, but you know we have an election coming in November, and you need to be involved. I'm not going to tell you how to vote. You've got the Holy Spirit within you. Some of you will vote right. Some of you will vote wrong. And I, that was a joke. Total joke. That was not, not very tasteful. <laughs> that's, that's not what I mean at all. I'm just sick of people writing me and telling me what a lefty I am. Nonetheless, uh, we, we, are, we want you, you cannot, here's the rule for this year. You cannot complain if you do not vote. Once you vote, you can complain. But having said that, you get a, we live in a great country that allows us to participate and be involved. Uh, whether you are right or left, however you see the value system that God has sets up, you need to be involved. And so what we're going to do is we're honored that uh, Sharon Kennedy is willing every few weeks to set up between now and 30 days out a uh, voter registration. So uh, we want to make it uh, impossible for you not to be involved. So uh, please take note of that. July 29th, that is next Sunday, will be the first one. And then a couple weeks later, we'll do another one. But please, uh, it'll, I think it takes like five minutes or something to register. So uh, plan on that. Having said that, if you are visiting with us this morning, thanks for being here. As soon as the service is over, I'd love to shake your hand and answer any questions that you may have. Uh, our hope and our prayer this morning, just to be clear, 
<clears throat> as much as we want you to like Carpenter's Way, our hope and our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus Christ. That's what we want. We really, really want that for you. Because Carpenter's Way can't save your soul. We think we can make your week a little better, and we can encourage each other and spur each other on. But without Jesus, that's just a, that's just a good day. We want you to have a good eternity, and that is found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that ain't Baptist, and it is an assembly of God. That's God sending his son to die on the cross for you. Uh, and if you are listening on the Internet this morning or you're in this room and you are agnostic about truth, if you don't know, I'm gonna t this morning is for you. It is, it's been such a good week of study, and uh, uh, chances of me overheating are real because I, just, I was so passionate about what I learned this week. So I'm excited to share it with you. Thanks for being with us. Welcome home, saints. And uh, for those, I know we have a lot of people on vacation and watching on the Internet. Um, we're glad you're watching with us. Grab your Bibles. We will be in 1 Samuel 28 in a few minutes. I'm going to ask at this time our ushers to come forward to prepare for our offering. Uh, for those of you, uh, well, let me explain again one more time what the offering is. Uh, we support, we participate with the Southern Baptist Convention in their international mission work. That's about 6,000 missionaries global that reach people for Christ and plant churches. Uh, some of our uh, offerings, about 10% of our budget goes towards that, uh, supporting them. On top of that, we have about 14 missionaries and mission groups that we support individually as a church, and uh, some of our offerings go for that. Uh, and uh, the rest pay bills and take care of staff. That's what these offerings do. Having said that, if this is not your home church, we just, we just want you to pass the plate. We don't, we don't want you distracted by money. We're just glad you're here. This is the commitment of those who attend here regularly. That's what we do together. Everything else is for you. So we're glad you're here. Thanks for being here. Don't feel pressure to put money in the plate. Uh, we're, just, uh, we're just honored to have you with us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do love you. And we're thankful that you love us. And I, I thank you, Father, that we live in a country that allows us uh, legally to worship. We would worship if it wasn't legal. But I thank you that, uh, that it's legal and we're not afraid this morning, that uh, we are protected by the king of the universe. And it is my prayer this morning that you speak to us. Um, Father, some songs are going to be sung that are written by talented people, music that are played and sung by talented people. But unless your Holy Spirit touches hearts, it's just a great, it's just a fun moment. We want your Holy Spirit, Father, to transform us from the inside out. So we ask you to speak to us. We ask you to meet with us in this room. I know that there's a lot of our folks on vacation. We pray you'd keep them safe. Uh, we pray that you would um, encourage them. Uh, for those watching on the Internet, if there's somebody today in this room or watching that does not know you, may today be the day of their salvation. I thank you for letting us gather this morning, and it is my prayer that we would, we would be encouraged by your Holy Spirit today and changed never to look back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand and worship with us. You're more than welcome. From heaven's throne, you came to us and set your heart upon the cross. We'll never know the sacrifice you made. Sin and all our shame, you took the nail 
And no one else could do what you have done. Sing one name. One name is higher. And one name is stronger than any grave, than any throne. Christ exalted over all. And from the grave where death would die, you rose again and brought us life. You're reigning now, the Savior of the world. Oh, you're reigning now, the Savior.
Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
pray together. Father, uh, we forget how great you are. Uh, we, just because of the way our flesh is built and the way we think and feel, we reduce you to a grandfather that we ask favors from. We know you love us, uh, but the truth is, uh, I think a lot of times we feel like we've got everything figured out and all we want you to do is plug in the power to do what we feel you need to do. I pray you teach us to trust you, to allow you to do what you want in and around us, and that even in that we will proclaim how great you are. Lord, I thank you for this morning. Right now we have 25 people on the Amazon River going to tell people how great you are. This morning in East Texas we're going to proclaim how great you are this morning in your word. And I thank you that we get to do that, and may we do it to our dying breath. Now, Father, move me aside and speak through your word and through the Holy Spirit that lives within us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to begin this morning by reading you a familiar passage. It'll be on the screen, and if you want to listen, I want you to listen as you've never, like you've never heard it before. It's from Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful and wicked people, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what he was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they actually instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them. He abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. As a result, they did vile, degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. 
Even the women turned against natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty that they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that they should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They even invent new ways of sinning, and they're disobedient to their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises. They're heartless, and they have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they actually encourage others to do them too. One of, the, um, one of the things that concerns me about the text I just read today is in this debate over homosexuality. This has been turned into a discussion of homosexuality when in reality, that's only one of the things that these people who reject God do. It's just one of the things. And it's the fruit of what they've done. And this text actually tells us that it's, it's people exchanging the worship of the God that they know exists for lust. Now, to be clear with you, uh, lust in our culture has taken on a sexual orient, uh, a sexual uh, uh, kind of nature, and it's, and it's really not. The word lust just means really a continual desire for more of whatever makes you feel good. It could be lust for fame, a desire to be recognized, which social media has made available to everyone. It can be a, a, a lust for adoration or the affection of others. It can be a, a lust for respect or happiness or pleasure and however you get that. Lust is actually a fire-hot desire for more of whatever it is that makes a person feel uh, the way they need or want to feel without any regard to God, without any respect for His morality and accountability or its effect on others. It's, it's the desire, I deserve to do what makes me feel right. This text I just read you, actually, interestingly enough, is a really good description of King Saul that we've been studying now. And we see in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 28. And if you're not there, you can turn there. Saul was a man who purely lived on the whims of his flesh and what he felt he needed to survive or succeed or what he felt he deserved. Saul's decision-making process was completely based on what he felt and what he wanted. Ironically enough, though, in our discussions of Saul, we ignore the fact that Saul was actually a very religious man. Saul was the king of the Hebrew nation, so he wasn't just religious, but he had access to the right God, the only living God. And in fact, in the study that we've done through 1 Samuel, we have seen that he would often invoke thanks and praise to God when things went the way he wanted them to go. But as described in Romans 1, Saul wouldn't worship God as God or give him the rightful place of control on his life. And as the result, he began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Eventually, his mind became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. Instead, he becomes an utter fool. And you're going to see that in today's text. We talk a lot, and I want you to grasp this. It's really important this morning. Because I predominantly talk to Christians on Sunday... 
We always try to present the gospel, but predominantly our gathering times are times to equip each other for the work of the ministry and understand who God is from the scriptures so we're not blown around by every wind of doctrine. And one of the things that I've tried to encourage you on is that the spiritual battle is just that. It's a battle. It's difficult. And so someone might get the idea that an easier life is a life lived in the flesh. An easier route, and it ends, you know, it's, it's a much more fun experience to totally live by the whims of your desires instead of picking up your cross, as Jesus said, putting them aside and following Christ. And I want you to understand, well, actually, I think you're going to see this morning what it looks like for the person who denies God the rightful place in his or her life. We've been studying what it looks like. And sometimes we see examples of godly men and women, and sometimes we don't. Well, this is the example of a religious man who is not righteous. This is a religious man who actually worships God, even prays to God at times, but refuses to give him the rightful play, place in his life. 1 Samuel 28.1 About that time, the Philistines mustered their armies for another war with Israel. King Achish told David, you and your men will, will be expected to join me in battle. So let's pause here. As you recall, David has moved into Philistine territory to get away from King Saul of the Hebrews, who wants to kill him. As you're aware, the Philistines are the Hebrews' enemy, their arch enemy. They don't like each other. They're continually battling, and they, nobody seems to have the upper hand. Sometimes the Philistines win, sometimes the Jews win, but they never completely overtake each other. In today's text, Achish, who is the head of the Philistine nation, has decided it's time to take on the Hebrews one more time. And so, as he gets them to battle, he tells David that he expects, he expects David and his 600 men to fight with him. Verse uh, 2. Very well, David agreed. Now you'll see for yourself what we can do. This is an interesting response from David. Because what has just happened again, keep it in context, Achish, king of Philistines, have decided to take on the Hebrews. He looks at David, who's been living among them for a year and a half, about a year and four months, it tells us, and he says, now you and your men are going to fight with us. And David's response is, okay, and you're going to see for yourself what we can do. To be truthful, we could, probably half of us in this room, if we were to talk about this, are going to assume David is going to fight with the Philistines, and the other half are going to say he's not going to fight with the Philistines. The truth is, he never gets the chance to tell us what his plans are. It's an interesting statement, because he could be saying to Achish, you're going to find out what we're capable of, and they could turn and kill the Philistines. That actually has happened before in Hebrew history. But we don't know. I mean, for what we know of David, we assume that he's not going to fight against the Hebrews, but we don't know. Verse 2, Then Achish told David, I will make you my personal bodyguard for life. Meanwhile, Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him. He was buried in Ramah, his hometown. And Saul had, ban was, uh, had banned from the land of Israel all mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. Actually, uh, seeking out mediums and witches and psychics was forbidden in the Mosaic Covenant. But Saul, during his reign, to his benefit, had actually reinstituted that law. And it appears in this text that he said anybody who actually is a psychic or a medium or anybody who goes to them will be killed. This comes into play in a few minutes. Verse 4. The Philistines set up their camp at Shunem, and Saul gathered all the army of Israel and camped at Gilboa. Verse 5. All right, here we go. When Saul saw the vast Philistine army, 
he became frantic with fear. He asked the Lord, what should he do? But the Lord refused to answer him, either by dreams or by sacred lots or by the prophets. Saul then said to his advisors, find a woman who's a medium so I can go ask her what to do. His advisors replied, there's a medium at Endor. There is a uh, story of a guy who's a rollerblading down a hill. And uh, as he's rollerblading, he begins to realize he's out of control. And there's a sharp turn, a U-turn to go down this hill. And he loses control and he goes over the edge of the cliff. And as he's falling down this steep cliff, he has the wherewithal to reach up and he grabs onto the root of a, of a tree that's hanging off the edge. And he's dangling about 100 feet above the ground. As he's dangling there, he realizes he's thinking through what he can do. And he is desperate. There's no saving himself. So he starts crying out in case somebody went by. Is there anybody up there? Is there anybody up there? And sure enough, somebody yells over the edge, Yes, David, I'm there. David was his name. I'm here. Who's that? Help me. Save me. The voice says, I'm God. David, I'll catch you. Let go of the root. David doesn't say anything. God says, do you believe me? I, I believe you. Can you reach down and grab me? Now I want you to let go of the root. Do you believe me, David? Yeah, yeah, I believe you, God. Is there anybody else up there? That's Saul. Maybe that's a lot of us. But that's clearly Saul. Saul who has outlawed witches, demonic information, psychics. Uh, we can add to this horoscopes. Getting information, seeking information. That, by the way, somebody may be thinking, well, why was that such a big deal? Because it's taking control of something God wants to control. Witchcraft is it's trying to find information so you can make decisions. Saul, who had outlawed these activities, cries out to God and says, will you help me? God doesn't answer. So he screams up on the cliff, is there anybody else up there? And he asked for a woman. Verse 28, verse 8. So Saul disguised himself by wearing ordinary clothing instead of his royal robes. Then he went to, the, went to the woman's home at night, accompanied by two of his men. Just to be clear, that sentence, that statement, that verse tells us how freaked out Saul really is. He takes off his royal garments. He puts on ordinary clothing so he won't stand out. And it tells us that he goes at night. And if we had a map, it would be confusing, so I didn't put it on the screen. But actually, what we find out is he went through the Philistine lines of armies, sneaking through in order to get to this witch at Endor. That's how frantic he is. Verse 8. I have to talk to a man who's died, he said. Will you call up his spirit for me? Are you trying to get me killed, the woman demanded? You know that Saul has outlawed all the mediums and all who consult the spirits of the dead. Why are you setting a trap for me? But Saul took an oath in the name of the Lord uh, and promised, as surely, and by the way, the name of the Lord here is Yahweh. As surely as Yahweh lives, nothing bad will happen to you for doing this. Okay, I, I, I want you to grasp this, who this guy is. 
This is Saul, king of the Hebrews, whose instructions have been made clear to him from the Mosaic Covenant. You don't deal with witches. You don't deal with witchcraft. You don't deal with the demonic. And on top of it, he reiterates that to his nation. We are going to rid ourselves of all of these people. And if, you, if we find that you're looking for one of these, we will kill you. He dresses up. He's so panicked. He dresses up at night and he goes to her. And then when he goes to her, she knows the laws. She said, are you trying to trap me? Are you trying to get me killed? And he swears to God that he won't hurt her. That's what it looks like to be religious and not righteous. You use God for however you want to use him, but you don't submit to him. I really do believe that in the church today, we're moving into another era where we don't submit to God, we just attribute Him to the areas we want. We cry out to Him when we have cancer, we cry out to Him when we don't want to go to hell, but everything else in the middle is ours. That is not the Scriptures. That's not the Scriptures. That's Saul. He is religious, but not righteous. And that is a dangerous place to be in, this religious but not righteous and I fear that in our culture of Texas, it's twice as, twice as tempting as anywhere else in our world. We invoke God when we need Him or when we want Him, but we ignore Him the rest of the times. Let me be clear. It's not enough to believe God is part of the solution of your spiritual problem. It's not enough. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life, not one of the ways. He said, nobody comes to the Father but through me. He said, I am the gate. There are people in our flock, but they came as thieves and liars and deceivers. They came over the wall. They didn't come through the gate. You may be religious. You may be Baptist. You may be an Assemblies of God person. You might be Christian and still not know Jesus. Why? Because Romans 10 tells us exactly what's required to be the child of God. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, let that sink in. Everybody knows what that means. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A person is saved or forgiven of their sin, declared right with God, adopted into his family, only when they declare that Jesus is Lord. And look, at, at salvation, we don't understand all the implications of that, but understanding he's the only one that can save you. It is only when they believe in their heart that only God will forgive their sin. Let me be clear. Of all the religions in the world, of all the deities that are talked about, Jehovah God, Yahweh Himself, is the only God of any religion that even wants to save your rear end. I need to be clear here. If you are pseudo-spiritual, if you believe that something exists, actually, I'm going to go farther than that. You may not even believe. You may be atheistic. The problem is, God does exist whether you believe in him or not. And let's be honest for a second. We all know God exists. Watch this. I'm going to make a Cadillac. Nothing happened. It's a dumb example. But you can't make a Cadillac out of a bunch of metal. 
If I did, you assume there was an illusion that took place. Even if I tried to convince you that I turned that metal into a Cadillac, you wouldn't believe it. Why? Because that's not how things work. You can't throw things up in the air and have them exist. And yet everything around you declares that something created this. I don't care if you are an evolutionist. It had to start. Those gases had to come from somewhere. Keep going back. You've got to explain. And everybody knows that there is a moral law. How can I say that? Because I can walk up and slap you and you'll be offended. I'll steal your purse. And you'll say, you shouldn't steal my purse. And I'll say, why not? I'm fitter than you are. Survival of fittest, you know. I can take you on. I can beat you. And as long as I can outrun you or I can beat you, that's my moral right. If there's not a moral lawgiver, who are you to tell me that I'm not better than you or righter than you. The truth is that in your heart, every man, woman, and child knows that a higher power, a moral lawgiver, something bigger than yourself, something that created all this, did it. Because you wouldn't believe if I made it happen. If somehow Zach could come up here and help me make an illusion where out of nowhere a Cadillac showed up, you would not believe that we made a Cadillac out of spoons. Why? Because it would make you a fool to believe that. You, there's no experience in life where something comes out of nothing. And God created this. I, you don't have to call him Yahweh, but there is a God, and he did create all this. And the problem is that we are accountable to that God or that being. You're accountable to him. Saul is accountable to him. I am accountable to him. That's the problem. You can spend your life drinking it away. You can spend your life pretending he doesn't exist. You can be agnostic. You can hate religion. You can not like the church. All those things are fine, but none of those will solve your problem one day when you stand before the Lord. That is a fact. And I think, and I'm, I'm genuinely fearful, that the church is so busy talking about everything except condemnation that we no longer even talk about that to people. There is judgment coming for every man, woman, and child. I know what some of you are thinking. Boy, he sounds like a Baptist today. That's what he gets for going to the convention. I just want you to know that this exists whether you identify it or not. You don't have to be Baptist. You don't have to be Catholic. You don't have to be Lutheran or, or Methodist or Assemblies of God. You don't have to be any of those things. But you do have to deal with God or he will deal with you. It is what it is. And if you don't declare him, well, Saul, being religious, let's go back to Saul, but not righteous, was rejected by God, and when realizing it, Saul doesn't run to God for mercy, he runs to a witch. Take a breath. To whom do you run? To whom do you run? Everybody runs to something. Your motorcycle, a bottle, drugs, your girlfriend that's not your wife. Where do you run? Everybody runs to something. Fishing, your political party. Where do you run? Everybody runs to something if they don't run to God. Saul ran to a witch. And I assure you, and this is for believers and non-believers alike, if you take your eye off of Jehovah, Satan will give you something that will give you a momentary rush. That's the danger of this life we live. Saul, who is not righteous, runs to a witch. He decides that it would be better to involve the demonic than not have an answer. I want to remind you, though, that at any point Saul could have still run to God. 
Just because God doesn't answer his kingly questions doesn't mean that if he runs to a priest and repents, God won't accept him. But he chooses not to. Verse 11 in 1 Samuel 28, look what happens. Finally the woman said, well, whose spirit do you want me to call up? Call up Samuel, Saul replied. Okay, pause. You remember who Samuel was? Samuel was the high priest. He was, uh, he was the one who had anointed Saul to be the king. He was the one that Saul went to for counsel, and he hated Saul, Samuel. But he ran to him. Why? Because Saul forgot that it was God that Samuel spoke on behalf of. It wasn't Samuel. What happens when people run to the religious leaders instead of the God of the religion? There's another warning. Be careful not to look for answers from something less than the divine. You can go to God. You don't have to run to His people. Run to Him. His word is clear. Whose spirit do you want me to call up? Call up Samuel, Saul replied. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed, You deceived me. You're Saul. Don't be afraid, the king told her. What do you see? I see a God coming out of the earth, she said. Well, what does he look like, Saul asked. He's an old man wrapped in a robe, she replied. Saul realized it was Samuel, and he fell to the ground before him. Why have you disturbed me by calling me back, Samuel said to Saul. Because I'm in deep trouble, Saul replied. The Philistines are at war with me, and God has left me and won't reply by prophets or dreams, so I've called for you to tell me what to do. Wow. Just to be clear, your religious figures cannot save you. Only God can. And I want to throw a warning out there. There's a lot of Christians right now who are running to God's people instead of God. If your heroes talk more about their ideas and their thoughts and their illustrations and their experiences than they do about God through his word, they're not directing you to God. Watch what Samuel says to him. Samuel replied in verse 16, Why ask me? Since the Lord has left you and has become your enemy. The Lord has done just as he said he would. He has torn the kingdom from you and given it to your rival David. The Lord has done this to you today because you refuse to carry out his fierce anger against the Amalekites. What's more, the Lord will hand you and the army of Israel over to the Philistines tomorrow. Get this. And you and your sons will be there with me. The Lord will bring down the entire army of Israel in defeat. All right, so I want to answer a question that's always asked in this text. Yes, it appears to me that this is actually the spirit of Samuel for three reasons. Number one, the medium reacts shocked and knows immediately who Saul is. It is a fair to assume, I can't prove this, but it is fair to assume that she is used to deceiving her clients. So she freaks out when she sees him. She's not used to doing that. I am not saying that mediums don't have access to the demonic or that ghosts don't exist. That's not what I'm saying. I'm simply saying that it appears because of that that this is the real deal. Second reason I believe it is, is Saul tests the medium to see if it's really Samuel, and he's convinced. And third of all, the spirit claiming to be Samuel, which doesn't mean it's Samuel. You understand that the demons lie, right? So when you watch Ghost Adventures and you watch these shows where they're conjuring up the dead, I just want to be clear that just because they claim to be something, they're not. They are, by definition, liars and deceivers. But what makes this unique is he kicks back into his prophetic 
his prophetic responsibility, and he says, just like God told you, what he said is going to happen is going to happen. And he, he declares God's judgment on Saul's wickedness, even the sin. Now I want to give you a warning. It is dangerous to, to create doctrine of ghosts or mediums or spiritualisms from this text. This is just an experience that happened to one guy. And short of the Mount of Transfiguration, where you have Elijah and Moses again, we don't have a lot of stories in Scripture where the spirits of the dead come back, especially the spirits of the saints, and interact with, with, with people. That's not a common theology. And there's no theology or doctrine in Scripture that deals with that. Here's what we absolutely know, and this is a sidebar, because I want to get back to the main point. Here's what we absolutely know about witchcraft and ghosts and sorcerers and psychics and Ouija boards from this text. Number one, the spirit world is real, including angels and demons. You don't see them, they're here in this room. In fact, I believe, question I get, why do you think it happens in India and Madagascar and not the United States? And because Christians are so self-deprecating, they always assume that it's their own spiritual weakness that causes it. I have another theory. I think the reason that Satan doesn't manifest himself demonically this morning is because we would all get on our face before God. We may run to the parking lot first, but we would pray. Satan's too smart. You understand in those other countries where this stuff happens, they run to the demonic. They look for a higher demon. They look for a higher authority. It is a distraction from God. And in our culture, it would drive us to God. But I want to be clear that we know from Scripture that the demonic is real. And they are in this room right now, whispering deceptions in your ears. They're deceiving you. On the internet, they're trying to convince you that what I'm saying is just Baptist crap. And it's not. I'm not Baptist. You could ask the people in this church. I am the world's worst Baptist. What I want to be is about God's Word. And this is... Somebody amen that. That wasn't very nice. That was not God. But the truth is, they are here. Child of God, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, lives within you. And he's prompting you and guiding you and directing you and working in your life. If you are not the child of God, the Holy Spirit right now may be calling you to God. I need this. I'm in trouble. You will be held accountable to God. And the Holy Spirit is the one who whispers in your ear, I will forgive you if you will give me the opportunity. They're real. The second thing we know from Scripture is that God's, uh, God's kids are to trust God and not seek advice or insight from the demonic, whether it be psychics, horoscopes, witches, Ouija boards, or any other kind of spiritual game that seems harmless but will open you up to the demonic. Let me be as equivocal and clear as I can. Psychics are witches and they have no place in the fellowship of the family of God. Horoscopes have nothing to do with God. And I know there's some of you who like to read them in the newspaper. If you trust them, you're going to get messed up. That has no business. You understand um, that Satan's goal for your life, brother or sister, is not to get you unsaved. That's an impossibility. It's to get you distracted. It's to take your eyes off of God and put it on something else. I'm not even going to say up here this morning that you might not find a psychic who can tell you the future. I'm just telling you they can't save you. They can't solve your problem. I'm not going to say ghosts aren't real. I'm going to say ghosts are basically demonic liars. Please understand, Satan is a very powerful, stinking liar. 
And if we were in my living room, I would use different words. And we have given him more authority and power than he deserves. The devil can't make you do anything. Even in the Garden of Eden, he pointed out the tree, he lied to them about the tree, and then he walked away. And it says that Eve, seeing that the fruit was desirable to make her wise, she chose to do it. The devil doesn't make us do anything. He deceives us. And we give him too much power. So what should we do? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And, and I, I was sharing this Wednesday night with, with our group, but I'm, I'm even afraid that sometimes in the church, we, we preach God's sovereignty. We preach the prophecy of the future. We study the scriptures, and we tell each other things, but then we act like we're still in control. I mean, every election cycle, somebody throws out there that if we vote the wrong guy in, we're going to usher in the end of the world. What? The end of the world is coming because God has, has, for, has told how it's going to end. And the reason he's patient, according to 1 Peter, is because he wants all to come to repentance. It's not because the church didn't vote or the church didn't participate uh, properly. Don't let people guilt you into doing what they want. Walk with God. He's got this. And it is amazing to me that Saul would run to a witch, uh, a medium, a ghost, uh, and, and a, a spirit of a dead prophet rather than God of the prophet. Think about how stupid that is. Could you just forget that we're in church for a second? Could you just forget, if your problem is, uh, is your boss, going to somebody across town to find out if they can solve your problem with the boss is a dumb move. Gossiping to your boss's wife is not smart. Going to, going to someone else, if you've got to deal with your boss, if you have a problem with your wife, if you've got a problem with your kids, stop talking to everybody else about him and go to your kid. Go to your spouse, because that's who you deal with. Saul doesn't hear from God, and instead of repenting and asking God to forgive him, why would he do that when God's silent? God is silent as it relates to him leading the kingdom, but Saul knows the reason why. He's been in open rebellion against God, but instead of choosing to go to the priest and bend the knee to the, to the God of the priest, he chooses to raise up the dead as if the dead guy was ever answering questions on his own. Are you following me? So what's the far-reaching thing? Be careful not to worship Beth Moore. Be careful. Be careful not to worship whoever. These are people. They speak on behalf of God about 90% of the time and about 10% they're wrong. Go to God. It's fine to have fellowship with them. It's fine to study the Word with them. But remember, they're going to be wrong on some stuff. So you better know God from His Word. Know God from His Word. And the Holy Spirit teaches you. Do you understand? That's a warning to believers. To the lost. Where are you running? And is it working? At 3 o'clock in the morning, are you content? Look, let me be clear. I worry at 3 o'clock in the morning, but at least I have someone who oversees all this to talk with about it. Who do you talk to? The problem with the world is it doesn't work without God. It doesn't. You, you have to find more pleasure, more sin, more self-serving whatever. You've got you've to find more rage. You've got you to talk more. You have to figure this out on your own. And the problem is you run out of time to do that. Jesus Christ isn't the answer. He's the only answer. 
Let me be clear. You may not like how God runs his universe, or you may not like his people, or what the Bible says about him. You may even desire to ignore him altogether, even calling yourself an agnostic or an atheist. But the fact still remains that God does exist, and you will deal with him either in this life or the next. You will. There's no way around it. Well, I don't believe in that. What do you believe in? Do you really believe that this was just a big explosion that happened? Do you really believe? I mean, when you cut yourself, if you put a time-lapse camera on yourself and you're under the age of 80, you can watch that thing heal. Who can make that happen? Well, it's, it's just random science. Well, you're inconsistent. Because if you actually believe that, and it is survival of the fittest, then I should be able to shoot you in the face without getting any ramifications. Because that makes me more of a survivor than you. Well, that would be wrong. Who are you to tell me it's wrong? There is no moral law. I keep going around. The problem is you believe in a moral law. Everybody does. Everybody believes in a moral lawgiver. Because the law comes from somewhere, or chance. And if chance is the lawgiver, then where you get the most people, you can decide what the laws are. Do you understand how confusing that is? And then you have to start digging for hope. You have to start digging for truth. And so you go to witches in hopes that ghosts are real. Do you realize how hard people try not to worship God? They would rather believe in a ghost or a psychic than the God of the universe who wrote himself into our story. I want you to understand We do wrong, every one of us. There is sin. And my favorite example of this is uh, Tiger Woods. He's a Buddhist. He doesn't believe in right or wrong, but his wife did. After 21 other women come forward that he's had affairs with, you better believe his wife believed in right and wrong. That's why she divorced him. And about an hour after that, you better believe he believed in right and wrong. Because right and wrong exists even if you try to say it doesn't. Truth exists. And we do wrong. Every one of us in this room. There is sin. And you've sinned. Not only against your neighbor or your spouse, but against God. And there will be a reckoning. I know we don't like to talk about it, but it is true. There will be a reckoning. And all the meditation in the world, all the good thoughts, even the good deeds that you do, do not wipe out the bad ones that you've done. And your spiritual condition is accountable under God's judgment. He will, you will stand before him, and he will hold you in account for your sin. The fact is also true that God is not okay with you being accountable for your sin. That's not what he wants for you. And that's why he did this. In John 3, God the Father loved us, loved you, loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him won't perish but can have eternal life. I love this next verse though. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. You see, when God looks at you and he sees you not in relationship with him and he knows the coming judgment that will happen, he sent Jesus to tell you about himself. Knowing the spiritual crisis that was created in the Garden of Eden and the spiritual crisis in which we find ourselves because of the things we've done, he sent Jesus, his only begotten son, to tell us of our plight and of his plan to save us from the coming judgment. 
This is what Jesus came to tell us as repeated by the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 3. God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the law. Pause. Breathe. Think. Not Baptist, not Catholic, not Lutheran. God's word. We can be made right with God without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Not the church, not in Samuel the prophet, not in Beth Moore, not in your favorite theologian, but in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everybody has sinned. This is God's word. This is the Apostle Paul writing. Everybody has sinned. We all fall short of God's standard of acceptability, glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, this is the judge, this is the one that you've sinned against, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when, we free, when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for your sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Listen, super important. You don't have to be judged. Why would anybody be so stupid that they would run from the one who's going to judge them who also says, I don't want to judge you. It's a gift. It's been paid for. All you've got to do is accept it. It's just as stupid as Saul, who's afraid of being destroyed by the Philistines, dressing up in a cape and sneaking through the Philistine camp so he can hear from a witch exactly what he knew was true already. Nobody in heaven is going to go, how come nobody told me that? Wait a minute. What about people who haven't heard? They've looked at the sky. They've seen the creation. Everybody knows that God exists, and only wise people seek him. That's true. Only the wise man, the wise woman seeks God. And for us to sit around and not tell our neighbors, friends, children, our, our bosses, our people that we come in contact with, that there is hope outside of the Baptist church. There's hope in Jesus that they don't have to run to the witch of Endor. They can run to Jehovah themselves. They don't have to run to a prophet or a Baptist preacher or a Catholic priest. They can run to God where there's no mediator between us and him. The problem is, most of us are still living to feed our flesh. Most of us still live like Saul. Yes, we are religious, but we don't run to God for leadership of our life. We're still trying to be happy. We're still feeding our flesh. So there's no energy for us to submit to God. We haven't declared Him Lord. Heck, we're just glad He saved us. We'll see you in heaven. And the problem is that, that this is our task. This is our task. We're Samuel. People sometimes believe, sometimes they don't believe. People mock us, they want to kill us. But nonetheless, the message doesn't change. Saul rejected God. And in the face of, of, of no voice, in the face of fear, in the face of terror, in the face of freaking out, he runs to, to the demonic. What do you run to? And is it working for you? It didn't work for Saul because that prophet that he brought back from the dead says, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me here. In other words, you're toast. You'll be dead before the sun sets tomorrow. 
My friend, you may not be surrounded by Philistines, but you are facing a judge who will hold you accountable for the wrong you've done. You will be held accountable. Now you've been warned. But the Apostle Peter says to you this morning from Acts 3, this. Repent of your sins and turn to God so your sins may be wiped away. And look at the result. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. I wrote on Facebook last night that, uh, are you tired of the heat? Well, come on out of the heat. It'll be refreshing this morning. Refreshment comes from knowing God, from having him give you hope and peace and encouragement. That's where true refreshment comes. The problem with drinking is you have to drink more. The problem with doing drugs is you need more drugs. The problem with feeding your flesh is you need more feeding of flesh. It's never enough when lust is your value system. It's only enough when you find contentment in trusting the Savior of the world. It's really the only thing that works. To continue life, to ignore this offer, willing to face the all-knowing judge with no defense is stupid. It makes no sense. Nobody's asking you for a dollar to be saved. Nobody's asking you to join a church. Nobody's even asking you to go to church every Sunday. God is just inviting you to be his kid to be forgiven of your sin, to let him put your sin on Jesus' body on the cross so that he could attribute Jesus' righteousness to you. We know what it looks like, though, to reject him. And if you don't, let me show you. Verse 20, 1 Samuel 28. After hearing this, Saul fell full length on the ground, paralyzed with fright because of Samuel's words. He was also faint with hunger, for he had, not eat, he had eaten nothing all day and all night. When the women saw how distraught he was, he said, Sir, I obeyed your command at the risk of my life. Now do what I say and let me give you a little something to eat so you can regain your strength for the trip back. But Saul refused to eat anything. Then his advisors joined the woman in urging him to eat. So he finally yielded and got up from the ground and sat on the couch. The woman had been, had been fattening a calf, so she hurried out and killed it. She took some flour, kneaded it into dough, and baked unleavened bread. She brought the meal to Saul and his advisors, and they ate. And then they went out into the night. This had zero impact on his spiritual life. He went into the night. Today is the day of salvation. Don't go into the night. You don't have to go into the night. Your family doesn't have to go into the night. If all you talk with your gay friend about is, is gayness, you're on the wrong message. If all you talk about with your kids is they need to go to church, wrong message. They need Jesus. Jesus is the answer to every need in your life. Well, I gave my life to Jesus and I didn't become rich. You are richer than you know, my friend. Yeah, well, my life, my, my kids, my wife, she left me after I gave my life to Christ. God will never leave you. You'll never be alone. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Do not be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. This is a weird chapter in 1 Samuel. But if you remove some of the weirdness, you have the same problem that we face every day with people all around us. 
looking everywhere but God for the answers that only God can give. And it's not working. Is it? Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. It's relevant. People have not changed in 3,000 years. We still seek our own way. We still try to deny that you exist. We still try to push you off. Even as your children, we try to relegate you to pure Savior and not Dad and not Leader, not Lord. We're sorry. Be our Lord. Be our leader. Give us the courage to run to you and not our lawyers. Give us the courage to run to you and not just our, our, our spiritual leaders. Give us the courage to surrender our lives. I pray, Father, for that man or woman who does not know you today, that today would be the day of salvation. That they would call on the name of the Lord, knowing that you are the Lord. That you did come down. Tell us about your Father. Die on the cross, rose again three days later, so that our sins could be, could be forgiven. I pray that they would call on you, Father. May today be the day of their salvation, the day of hope. We love you, Lord, but not as much as you love us. Help us love you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before we wrap up, if you're here this morning and you don't know my dad, my Savior, I would love to introduce you to him. We'll be up here as soon as the service is over. I know that some are used to an altar call, but I want to make this harder than that. I'm tired of cheap altar calls. You want to know Jesus? Walk to the cross. Do your deal. Submit yourself. Surrender. What will people think? They'll probably think you're crazy. Everybody's somebody's fool. Whose fool are you? Brother and sister. Don't live another day without offering hope to the people you come in contact with. There is no hope in the bottle. There is no hope in the Republican Party. There's no hope in the Democratic Party. There's no hope in the People's Republic of, of New York. There's hope in Jesus. I know you know that. Time to live it. We'll be up here after. If, uh, if you're here this morning and you don't want to talk to me, I have these little blue books that are just scripture about how to, how, to, how to have a relationship with God. There's one over here and one over here. And the big blue books are Bibles. Try picking it up. Find out what God says about himself. We love you. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes. We'll be up here if you want to talk. Have a good day.